when you're a young, nervous civilization about to send out its first deep space probe, you want to make sure whoever finds it is going to want to be your friend. And the best way to do that is to send a mixtape. Earth's Mixtape is the podcast where we dive into the contents of the Voyager Golden Record. One song at a time, one picture at a time, one whale song at a time. Welcome back to Earth's Mixtape. This is the podcast where we review the contents of the Voyager Golden Record. I'm Mike Dunlavey, and with me as always is... Roby Austin. And... Hannah Ayler. This episode we'll be discussing musical selections from Britain and the Solomon Islands, as well as photos showing people from around the world eating in the Golden Record photo archive. So let's begin. start today by talking about track 21. Track 21 is entitled The Fairy Round, composed by Anthony Holborn. It runs one minute and 17 seconds, and it was recorded under the direction of David Monroe. Do we know who's playing it? Uh, I think it is Monroe and a group of his players. I have here that uh, David Monroe was one of the founders of something called the Early Music Consort of London, who recorded many old-timey English folk ballads and early music. And interestingly, for music we have already spoken of, he spent time as a younger man in Peru and spent some time learning about the music of Peru. And that influenced a lot of his own compositions. So this piece is, as Mike pointed out, a very old-timey English piece. It sounds like you would hear it. It's, it's, it's lutes. It's, it's yeah. almost like a traditional band you'd see in the background of a scene of a Robin Hood movie. Mm-hmm. With guys with puffy pants that are then very tight. Long feathers in their hats. Yes. I should point out that this is fairy as in the mythical creature with wings, not the boat that transports people in cars. That's a good point. That's a good point. So this was composed by Anthony Holborn, and he was a composer for music of lute and citern and other consort-type music during the time of Queen Elizabeth I. And there are books of his compositions still in existence, uh, one of which has the amazing title of Pavans Galliards Almains and other short airs, both grave and light, in five parts for viols, violins, and other musical wind instruments. And that's wind with an E. Nice. That is nice. I won't dwell on the fact that viols and violins are not wind instruments, but... (laughs) Well, it's for those things and wind instruments. Right. I'd like to get my hands on that book. That book contains 65 of Holborn's compositions. That guy was busy. He died at the age of 57 of a cold. I'd just like to point out how nice it is that we don't die of colds anymore. Very much. At least at the age of 57. Yes. And and not as often. He could have died of the plague. I mean, that was what was the the in thing to die of. (laughs) In Elizabethan times? Was oh, that, yeah. Was that plague times? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, because they closed the they closed the theaters. Yeah, Shakespeare yeah. had to go off and be a player in the, the countryside. So one thing about this piece that they talk about in the Murmurs of Earth documentation is that this piece almost serves as a missing link between sort of traditional panpipe music and later classical compositions. It's kind of an in-between of musical progression. Because it's early Western music, like it's got... Yeah. The same harmonies, but played on sort of simple stringed instruments. And there's repeated themes. Yeah, so this, if this was during the time of Queen Elizabeth, so this would have been late 1500s, say. Um, but this is, yeah, this is a fairly pleasant piece, and I think it plays well in the line of music. Yeah, I'm a fan. I think yeah. it's different from other pieces we've heard before on this record. Yeah, and it's a different piece of Western European music that we've been hearing. 
different from the Bachs and the Beethovens and the Rite of Springs. That's right. It's not art music. It's folk music is how we would probably classify it now. Probably Mr. Holborn would say something else, but I'm not sure, actually. If he was writing dance music, he probably was happy to be classified as the music of the people instead of producing music that was meant to be just enjoyed by artistic folk. I was enjoying imagining the lute player smashing his lute against the stage in a (laughs) (laughs) who-like... Jimi Hendrix-like blaze of glory... Thank you, Richard Condy, for giving me that image to live by for the rest of my life. And and in times when people were dying at 50, you know, probably even 30, you'd have to rewrite Who lyrics to Don't Trust Anybody Over 12. (laughs) Tough times. Tough times. And uh, if you heard it playing on a UFO? Oh, I... I would assume that the UFO that I'm on is a time-traveling UFO and that I had been transported back to Elizabethan era. So I think that's a positive because I think this indicates a time-traveling spaceship. This is all it would take for you to believe to in time be, travel? Oh, yeah. If I heard this on a spaceship, yeah. I would think I would wake up and Shakespeare would be in the cell next to me or something. I suppose if you woke up on a spaceship, your ability to believe in things you may have never believed in before would... Yeah, uh, expand rapidly, expand I should rapidly. think. <laughs> now to talk about our next selection of pictures. We're going to be talking about pictures 72 through 82. And though I promised pictures of eating at the intro, we're going to get through a few other ones first. Picture 72 is entitled Olympic Sprinters, taken from Picture Point London. And this is a photo from the 1972 Olympics in Munich, where we see Russian sprinter Valery Borisov in the lead. They make note in Murmurs of Earth that this is a good showing of leg musculature. I th- yeah, sure I, is. I yeah. think it is. You also get some arm movement going on there too, like uh, bending of the arms. Yep. I don't know how much of that we've seen, but and I think only so. There's four runners shown. I think only one is shown touching the ground. So I think it is a good sign that these are all people in motion. Mm-hmm. Mm. That that they're all moving forward. I'm not suggesting that it's uh, them flying, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it is them engaged in locomotion. And the other three other runners in the picture? Some research was done. We think this is from the third heat of the men's 200-meter dash at the 1972 Olympics. By our best guess, the other runners in the photo are Motsapi Morosi, uh, who's running with number 603 from Lesotho. Runner number 901, is, we think, is Edwin Roberts from Trinidad. And number 779 is Su Wen Ho from Taiwan. Thanks. And they do talk about in Murmurs of Earth as to whether the OSPs will know what to make of the numbers. Mm-hmm. We've taught them numbers, oh. and now we've got these numbered guys running on a track. What possible interpretations could you get from those numbers? There, there's clearly not 932 people running, as, as you could maybe try to figure out from Valeri's number. It's interesting. There's also, uh, obviously, this being the Olympics, there's also a big crowd watching them. The picture... Focus, plane of focus is only on the runners, so the people in the background aren't recognizably people unless you're used to looking at crowd shots. Yeah. I mean, I think you could make some arguments, not necessarily the people in the stands, definitely, but there are some people on the ground behind. I think you might be able to determine a human shape from. But uh, there's, a, there's a guy between the third and fourth runners in the background who kind of looks like that classical photo of Bigfoot. 
<laughs> he's blurry. He's got one foot slightly ahead. If he was looking back over his shoulder, it would be almost perfect. So he turned at the Olympics. Do you think he'd win? It, well, it turns out, yeah, Bigfoot was at the Munich Olympics. Oh. <laughs> I like to think. Just but take, he didn't win. But he didn't win. He was just there as a spectator. Valery Borzal win. Why do Olympic runners have such high numbers? Where, what, 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 what are we supposed to, what do we interpret from the, the fellow with number 901? Are there not 900 different people competing in the Olympics? Not in that race. Not in Maybe the they don't meters. start at number one because if someone had a number one jersey, then... Yeah, and the divers don't wear those numbers. The the people throwing heavy things, no, they probably do. Track and field. It's it's mostly just the track and field people who wear these numbers. Oh, I don't know. I don't know sports. <laughs> yeah, it turns out that I really don't know sports. Okay. I don't know either. And on that exciting note, <laughs> we will move on to picture 73, titled Japanese Schoolroom. And this is taken from the United Nations. It shows an older human teaching a younger human how to write. And it's kind of just a close-up of a classical schoolroom environment. So there's a boy sitting at a table, and there's a man kind of leaning over him, uh, working with his hand on the pencil. Yeah. The kid, has, the kid is writing something, and the teacher is holding his hand as he, the student holds the pencil and is guiding him in his calligraphy. So for me, this picture is made by the small child in the background I who's was looking just straight about at the camera. I hadn't <laughs> noticed him. Yes, over the teacher's right elbow. Doing kind of a deer in the headlights look at the camera. I, yeah. think. I really, really hope that that person has, uh, is like a, an older person now and knows that their image is in space because <laughs> I think that that is, yeah, that's a happy story for me. Yeah, And I, I think not strange for a alien to look at this picture and just assume that he's the focus. He's not the he's not the best lit, but he is the one who is facing the camera. He's the one who is aware of the camera. That's true. Mm. There's an even a technical term for the thing that humans do, which is to see faces in things. So he his face being very face like draws my attention. Uh, but presumably aliens with different shaped faces would not have the thing that I have that makes me recognize faces. Uh, okay. So they might not see it the way I do, if you see what I mean. I do see what you mean. Or maybe it's like Star Trek and all the aliens have humanoid faces. Look exactly like us. That seems most likely. different like ears and tattoos. And, bu- and bumpy <laughs> and, four. Bumpy and four colors. <laughs> okay, moving on to picture 74, entitled Children with Globe, also taken from the United Nations. And in fact, this was taken at the UN International School, which we discussed back in episode six when we were looking at a picture of a bunch of kids sitting in a circle. Again, we have a bunch of kids sitting in a circle with their hands on a globe in a strangely cult-like ceremony. (laughs) Cult-like looking ceremony. You're only saying that because we've recorded this after that weird thing happened in uh, Saudi Arabia with Donald Trump. Yes, that's probably true. Their their globe isn't glowing. Uh, The globe is showing Asia in the Mideast, and they do note in Murmurs of Earth that this is the same part of the Earth you see in the actual picture of Earth they sent back in picture 12. Oh, that's nice. And while I think that's true, that picture also, that real picture of Earth had a pretty heavy cloud cover, and I'm not entirely sure that that connection is made, especially since this globe is also very heavily, it's very easy to see the national boundaries. Mm-hmm. But I think that kind of is an extra piece of information. You wouldn't look at it and say... If you didn't know about political boundaries, you wouldn't look at it and say, oh, look, political boundaries. But the fact that the Earth is divided in other ways than geography is an additional data point. I agree. It's a nice photo. It's nicely lit. There's also something that struck me about this was they have their hands on the globe, and that kind of 
brought to me a connection to the picture 39 with the continental drift, and we had the human hand there. That's right. Denoting the present day. So these could be the, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's about the same size scale of hand to globe. That's a very good point. Excellent. These are our children monster overlords. (laughs) And we will now leave them to move on to picture 75, which is entitled Cotton Harvest by Howard Walker of the National Geographic Society. And this is a picture of mechanized agriculture, uh, harvesters going through a cotton field, and the harvester has a length scale put onto the photo. Apparently, a mechanized cotton harvester at this time was 350 centimeters high. Okay, so this one does not, to me, transmit a whole lot of useful information. I agree. The harvesters aren't looking very harvesty. The harvested bit of the field isn't very, very contrasted from the unharvested bit of the field, so that's it's hard to tell yeah, what's going on. But I, I, I do feel they made some effort in that area by picking a picture from a cotton field where the white cotton does stand out, except it's almost all you see is cotton. There's not really a lot of contrast. Plus, that harvester is throwing out a lot of cotton. Well, but if you look towards the horizon behind the harvester on the left, that row has already been harvested. It just is also covered in white dots. And this would have been sent in black and white. We are currently looking at a color photo, which... Oh, the black and white's even more. Yeah, the black and white would make that even harder, I would think. Yeah. However, I'm going to propose the following, that if you were... If we were sending a picture of cotton harvesting to the aliens, this is a better one than most than you could possibly have chosen. <laughs> yeah, I was okay, yeah, when sure. I looked through the list of, you saw of the title. image titles. I was like, oh, God, what have we done? <laughs> but uh, no, it wasn't so bad. Yeah, it turns out it wasn't so bad. <laughs> Yay, 1977. Okay, and now, as promised, we're going to get into uh, people eating. Around uh, the globe. Around the globe. Picture 76 is entitled Man with Grapes. There is no photo credit I was able to find from this photo, Uh, but what we have is a man with an open shirt and a thing wrapped over his head holding a bushel of grapes up to his face and eating them directly off the vine. He's also smoking. What? What? He's holding a cigarette. He has a cigarette. Oh my goodness, what a talented individual. That's right, multitasking. Living the dream. And (laughs) his forearm looks like he's been sort of in the grapes for a while as well. (laughs) Um, And it's showing food going into the mouth. Yes. And his eyes are closed and he looks pretty happy about it. Yep. Food going into the mouth is a good sign of what we do. Uh, Yes. And so, now that we've established eating, (laughs) moving on. Picture 77 is entitled Supermarket by Herman Eckelman, who is the staff photographer at the National Astronomy and Ionosphere Center. And this is a photo that the Golden Record folks went out and did themselves. They hopped in the car, went to the grocery store, and started um, running around looking for the best way to take photos of the market. So was this woman in the photo, was she just a random person in the grocery store? Uh, They don't say who she was. I assume so. Really? I assume it's one of their buddies. It's it's probably, but they they did talk about how they basically did this guerrilla style. They went running around an open supermarket, messing with the food. Drake, Frank Drake, apparently had to talk to the manager who was trying to get them to leave. So Drake had to explain to the manager what they were doing. Um, How gorilla-like were they? <laughs> well, <laughs> ook, ook gorilla, not the fighter gorilla. Yeah, I, I meant sort of doing it without license or permission. But um, 
but they do make a note that when they were done, they put all the food back and, oh, and, so and paid for the grapes. And paid for the grapes. Just the grapes. That so this, the, this we should say the woman in this picture is eating grapes just like uh, there were grapes in the previous picture being eaten. Yep. So they, the two pictures get a connection that way. Yep. And she is standing in front of a fairly healthy uh, produce section with some, perhaps, toys. Yeah, can I just, just point out how yeah. awesome this is? Like, why doesn't my supermarket have basketballs right above the lettuce? Like, Or, like, yeah, yellow Tonka trucks. Yeah, that's pretty great. It looks like Westphalia, Toy Westphalia or something of that ilk. Welcome to 1977. Welcome to 1977. Uh, yeah, I think... But, you know, she has a sort of pleasant look on her face. Like, she's obviously... Um, Bemused by the crazy dudes asking her to eat grapes. Which is why I'm not so sure it's a buddy. <laughs> but, anyway. Uh, so the aliens are going to think that we eat only grapes after these photos. Yep, that's fine. Okay. Now, when you wake up on the spaceship listening to Luke music and they grapes. bring you grapes, it'll be nice. Think, think of this as a way of dealing with the threat to humanity scale. If the aliens think we only eat grapes, they're going to come to our planet... Poison the grape. Maybe that's why plants. grapes are so expensive now. Are they? Yeah, I went. I was at the superstore yesterday, and a thing of grapes was gonna cost fifteen dollars. That's <gasps> crazy. Yeah, so I didn't get them, but Good that was plan. insane. Yeah. All right. Well, there you have it. Yeah. Summer two thousand seventeen. Grape grape prices were crazy. Probably because of the Voyager Golden Record and forty years. Yeah. And the aliens messing with our grape supply. Keep your eyes on the skies, people. Picture 78 is entitled Diver in Fish, and this photo is interesting right off the bat, as this photo was not included in Murmurs of Earth because the, art, the photographer would not give permission. Uh, but Hannah did some extra digging and found us a copy to look at. This photo is copyright Jerry Greenberg, and it shows a scuba diver and a fish. And it says H2O. And it says H2O. So and this I, is strikingly similar to another photo that we've seen already. Indeed, but I think this is a much better photo. Right. I agree. There's so One diver, one big fish, says they're in water. It seems to answer all the questions they were worried about in the previous photo. So then why would they even include the previous photo is what I'm wondering. Excellent question. I have no idea. I'm, I still think it was one of them that was scuba diving in that picture. That must be why they put it on. I, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a good suggestion. It's also interesting that this is in the middle of our you know eating uh, run and this I don't I don't see any obvious signs that this scuba diver is fishing for that fish. But I think with the next couple of pictures, is, there is a nice progression. It does lead into these next photos, which we will now which we will now discuss. Yeah, so picture seventy nine is entitled "Fishing Boats," and this is a picture taken from the UN. It shows Greek fishermen pulling in a net, a big fishing net, and uh, yeah, they're they're going out with their catch. Can you see fish in this picture? I don't think so. I think what okay. they're doing is they're pulling the net onto the boat in Off anticipation of going out. Oh, okay. I th yeah, I think that they have spread their net out on the beach and they're pulling it up onto their onto their boat. So, while I agree about the procession, like showing a fish, showing fishermen, and then when we'll see with the next photo, I, I don't think this is obviously. I mean, besides the fact that they're on water, mm -hmm. I don't think this is obviously fish that they are a, going a to fish, get. This is fish business. <laughs> But it's a but it's a very nice photo. It's very well lit. It looks like a sort of dawn. Yeah. But getting into picture eighty, uh, entitled "Cooking Fish," you can probably get an idea of what this is going to be. <laughs> this is a photo by Brian Seed from the book "The Cooking of Spain in Portugal," put out by Time Life Books, and it shows an open fish grill in Portugal. And we see a guy with a 
large open air grill with a series of fish at various states of cooked cookedness. <laughs> There's also a bunch of boats behind him. He's on a balcony overlooking water. Oh, that's very good. Yes, and so that, that could be that could tie it in with picture seventy nine a little better. Yeah, so I think we're showing the OSPs with this photo that we kill and grill other life forms. Kill and grill. Kill and grill. Um, the new restaurant coming. The from Hannah, Hannah's Kill and Grill. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, please continue. So, but what if they look like fish? What if the OSPs bear some resemblance to fish that we have some evolutionary background where they came off some other branch? So threat to humanity fairly high here. Yeah, what, yeah. They, We're even in worse shape if they look like bunches of grapes, though. That's true. So, yeah, and so this run of three photos, the fish swimming in the sea, the fishermen getting ready to go get the fish, and then a uh, man cooking fish. I think they even say in the book that this series gives you context like in terms of like the different aspects of us eating these creatures. But I'm not sure it's obvious to OSPs which series of photos they are meant to take context yeah. from. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it might be a fun game to play sometime is to just roll a die, pick three photos, and try to make up a context that <laughs> Ooh, you're supposed to. New game, new game. New game. <laughs> Look for that special coming 2018. The cross-correlation game. Ooh. <laughs> no, C- auto-correlation. Sorry. The ACG. Uh, we're going to go to now, though, picture 81, which is entitled Chinese Dinner Party, photo by Michael Rougier from the book Chinese Cooking by Time Life Books. Shows a large family, a large group of people sitting around a circular table, uh, eating with you know utensils. They're dipping things. They're using their hands, and they're having generally a fairly good time. Yeah, there are a lot of bowls on that table. Looks good, like a good meal. And it also, it looks kind of like the bowls in the middle are on like a large lazy susan. Mm. It looks like that could maybe rotate around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. Um, I want to point out the guy second yeah, yeah. from the right because he just makes his picture. Um, he so he's got a surprised expression on his face, concerned, and he's got his hand out with all his fingers sticking out, and it looks to me like he is imploring the person across from him not to eat her food because it's poisoned. <laughs> okay, I've got some. I have potentially some information about this guy. Okay. No, really? Because you'll see another guy is also like a guy about two or three people to his left is also has his hand out. Okay. So the, what I'm about to say is a murmur of earth fact. Oh. So you know, sirens and lights and all those <laughs> other things. Uh, apparently what they're doing is playing a, a popular Chinese finger game where you have to guess how many fingers am I holding? No. <laughs> uh, I, I have no other evidence that this is a game that actually exists. Once again, eh, 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 murmurs of earth fact. But these, these guys are, according to them, are playing the finger holding up game. Okay, so for uh, those of our listeners in either the Halifax area or any other area where the great magician Ravine plays, what he looks like is the Ravine advertisement poster. He's looking... Stage uh, hypnotist photo, photo. Stage hypnotist. Sorry, not a magician. I don't know. I'm, oh, I, no, no. I just mean yeah, yeah. every generic stage hypnotist would have Somebody this reaching <laughs> forward with his hand in the dramatic pose, uh, much a, a foreshortened Saruman, against a, his face. A Dracula. Yeah. A Dracula beckoning. Yeah. <laughs> but but I, it, these are all happy-looking photos. These, are, these, aren't, oh, yeah, these yeah. aren't people looking like they're, they need your $20. I don't know. The one that... Two two people to the left from the stage magician. She looks like she has she's just left eating, the oven on at home or something. She's just like, eating some soup. She's, I don't know. She's, she's, got, she's got a spoon to her mouth. 
She doesn't look happy, though. Well, she's watching these guys play the finger game, and she's like, how old are you guys? The finger game was like she something like 4 looks severely unimpressed. Or... <laughs> she's just trying to eat her soup. <laughs> okay, but she is holding something to her mouth, which indicates yeah. that she is eating, yeah. which is good because nobody else at the table is doing that. Well, there's a woman on the far left of the photo with her hand to her mouth, but she's it looks giggling. like she's just hiding a giggle, yeah. yeah. But anyway, I... the, 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 this has... Every appearance of just being a happy group of people. Yes. Sitting around enjoying Playing a meal. finger games. Except for the one that's been poisoned. Except mm-hmm. for the one that's been poisoned. It's titled Chinese Dinner Party. Could it have just been titled Dinner Party? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But not in 1977. But not in 1977. So we'll now move on to picture 82 entitled Demonstration of Eating, Licking, and Drinking. And this is a photo also by Herman Eckelman, the NAIC staff photographer. And we're going to describe this in detail because, frankly, the title demonstration of eating, licking, and drinking make, could make the imagination run wild. What we have are three people uh, engaged in different ways of putting nutrition into their mouth. So we have a woman on the left licking an ice cream cone. We have a man in the middle eating a tuna sandwich, a toasted tuna sandwich. And we have a fellow on the right drinking water from a glass pitcher Drinking in a way that people often do in movies when they're very thirsty out in the desert. They take their canteen and they hold it six inches from their mouth and try to pour the last few drops in. This photo, however, is this man pouring just a stream of water into his mouth. Okay, I'm not proud of this, but it's also how, uh, like, I'm not proud of the fact that I know this, but it's also um, how buxom women in dodgy restaurants pour uh, booze light booze down your throat for money. Where are you? <laughs> Wait, where are you going? Uh, I'm a physicist, and I go out to dinner with physicists around the world, and sometimes the dudes choose terrible places. And I'm going to get us just back on track yeah, here, if you don't mind. Yeah, let's get us back on track. The th- I know the names of the three people in this photo. The, the, the woman eating the ice cream cone is Wendy Granson, and unfortunately I couldn't find anything else about her other than her name. The fellow eating the tuna sandwich is Val Boryakov, who is a radio astronomer at Cornell at the time, so I'm going to assume he's a buddy of Drake, Drake and Sagan. And he's eating a tuna sandwich, and fun fact, he doesn't like tuna sandwiches. <laughs> Why they couldn't get him a peanut butter and jelly or something, I have no idea. The fellow on the right, drinking water in a totally natural way, is George Halu, who was a grad student at the time. He was doing summer work with Sagan, and he is now currently a deputy director of the Space Infrared Telescope Science Center. He's had a very successful career. He's now a professor at Caltech. And his picture of unnatural water drinking is in space. So, the, yeah, this photo took two takes. It, it, they, they tried to do it once where Boryakov was eating an untoasted sandwich. Oh, no. We but can't they, have that. Well, he's also wearing a white shirt. So uh, since they were sending this photo in black and white, the contrast, you couldn't quite see the sandwich and the bite out of it. And the other thing was Elu was drinking water out of an opaque pitcher. So you couldn't quite see, obviously, that this was a container of water he was drinking from. So they got Boryakov a toasted sandwich and they got dude a glass. But not thing. a toasted sandwich that he liked. No, he had to, he had to just stomach that tuna. I don't know about the other people in this room, but 
I want an ice cream now. I, I'm so glad that they have someone licking an ice cream cone because it really bothers me when people bite. Yeah. Bite ice cream. What? Why? Yeah, like yeah. if you like an ice ice cream cone, if you just bite into it with your teeth. Even a soft serve? Oh, you know, no. Ice cream is for licking, not biting. You can you can bite into it. Mike, no, it's yeah. Hannah is correct about Thank this. Thank you, Roby. Um, <laughs> I I am aware of your ice cream eating, chewing habits, but it's it's not right. <laughs> so I'm glad at least the OSPs have the right idea now. I had no how, idea how this, to eat ice how cream. How to eat ice cream? I had no idea this was an issue. But you know that people have cold sensitivity in their teeth. Yes, I so, do know So that. nobody should, eat, should be biting into ice cream. Do you have cold sensitivity in your teeth? I don't think so. Do you, Hannah, have cold sensitivity in your teeth? Not a lot. So what's your problem? It's just not the way it's, it's supposed to be. It's all wrong. There's no wrong way to eat an ice cream cone. There is. Ice cream gets in mouth, tastes good, done. Well, that's not what Carl Sagan says. And uh, he's not a great source. We gotta we gotta <laughs> not rely on Carl Sagan on this one. It's what Roby Austin and Hannah Ayler say. Hashtag, hashtag Sagan it. Oh wait, so uh, overall threat to humanity for all this eating and partying and I, I'd say mid level. I'd say mid level. They the aliens now know our, what we need for nourishment and sustenance, and therefore that's now a thing that they could choose to target us with. Certainly, if they get into our grocery stores, yeah. uh, the vast majority of humanity is done for. Yeah, or kill all the fish. Or kill all the fish, which we're already busily doing ourselves, so yeah. there's the tragedy. But for some reason, I think we'd be angry if someone else did it. Yeah, it's true. Maybe that's what it will take for us to not do it. Just yeah. have aliens do yeah. it for us? and then we'll, or maybe we'll we put could, a stop to it and get our act together. Maybe we should tell the climate deniers that aliens are targeting our fish and the way to save the oceans is to stop feeding the aliens the CO2 that they need to eat. We're we're, we're just pitching old Outer Limits episodes now. Well, shut your mouth. It's a good idea, Mike. I think it's a great idea. (laughs) Welcome to (laughs) Roby and Hannah. (laughs) Disagree with Michael Hour. (laughs) And now we have to record for an hour. to talk about track 22. Track 22 is entitled Melanesian Panpipes, and this is a recording from the Solomon Islands. It runs one minute and 12 seconds and was collected by the Solomon Islands Broadcasting Service. And for those interested and don't know, the Solomon Islands are off the northeast coast of Australia. Do they call themselves the Solomon Islands? Do you know? I that I don't this know. Is an unfair question. To I, don't, I, don't know anything about the, I don't know anything about the history of the Solomon Islands, and I'll admit I had to look up where they were. That's as did I. Um, but this recording was made. Oh, so as usual, we don't know who the performers were, and besides the fact that it was collected by the Solomon Islands Broadcasting Service, we don't know who uh, actually the person doing the recording was. But we do know that the recording was made in the Malaysia province of the Solomon Islands, which I've just pronounced incorrectly, but hopefully knowledgeable people will know which province I meant. Um, and in this area, the chief music of the time was panpipe ensemble. We've talked about panpipes in previous selections, and I think one of the things we talked about last time was that the panpipes could have single or double rows of mm-hmm. pipes. And what the note I found about uh, the music of this area is that they would prefer a single row of pipes. I like uh, panpipes as an instrument that we send out to space because they're a 
fairly straightforward piece of musical technology. It's not, uh, there's not a lot of mystery in how to make a panpipe. You can do it at home with straws if you like. Resonant air in a tube. Resonant air in a tube that usually has both sides open. Yeah. So as long as the OSPs have atmosphere and of a certain pressure. Or the knowledge of the possibility thereof. So some interesting facts about the panpipe music of this area. And again, these are Murmurs of Earth facts. The songs are often concerning nature and would have a story associated with them. And interestingly, the stories would not be given to the audience. The stories would be shared by the musicians who would then just play the music. That's pretty neat. Yeah. And also that this is a musical tradition that is disappearing because Mm. when the missionaries arrived, uh, they were told to not do it anymore, which is incredibly sad. And that, I think, makes me think of this as a very excellent inclusion onto the record because it draws attention to this musical tradition, which conceivably is in danger of disappearing, and on the notion that this record is made just as much for humans as it is for the OSPs, uh, this seems like an excellent addition, Mm. and that we're talking about it right now. That's right. So these songs uh, tend to be about something that the audience is not let in on. That's That's what it seemed to be. So I guess it's oh, it's fair for it to just have the title Melanesian Panpipes sure. and not a walk sure. in the forest but on I'm, a but sunny it, day. But it might also have another title. It's just that but maybe it's secret from the audience. Yeah. So uh, for those of you who've been irritated by the tradition of not telling the true title of um, the anthropologically interesting music in the past... What you can think of is us following the Melanesian panpipe tradition of keeping the title secret from the audience. (laughs) For this track and this track alone. Uh, No, no, no. We were imposing Melanesian rules on on other... Well, we weren't. The, The Murmurs of Earth folks were imposing Melanesian rules on other pieces of music where we didn't get the title. We just got a description of what it was. Peruvian flutes. Right. I'm going to make an honest statement. I don't particularly like this track. That's yeah, just me. That's my taste. Just to my own personal tastes. I didn't care for it. Yeah, it it did kind of grow on me though. The more I listened to it, but yeah, it it's it's sounds a little all over the place like a whole bunch of panpipes playing lots of different things. So uh, it it doesn't quite reach our ears. In it our, didn't move our heart. It but, didn't move our hearts. But, you know, Somebody's heart was moved by it, so that's nice. Oh, and yes. we all agree, with it has a place. Uh, what happens if you wake up on a... I think it'd be pretty creepy to hear a whole bunch of panpipes. Wind instruments. Yeah, mm. just something about them. Uh, wait, we, 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 you just made a statement that... No, no, because the trumpet is a wind instrument. But you just made a comment surprised. that panpipes were a good thing to send because it's a very straightforward... You can tell where this. You can make good guesses of where that sound is coming from, but now you're not. You're not finding it. Now I'm just. I'm saying, even though you can make a good guess of where that sound is coming from, do you really want to hear it on a spaceship? I don't know. 
Thanks for listening to Earth's Mixtape. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Please rate and review us on iTunes, and maybe we will read your name on a future episode. Reviews will help people find out about the podcast, and maybe tell your friends about us. This week, we'd like to thank Dan JK, who left us a very nice review on iTunes. Thanks, Dan. Did we make a mistake or an omission? Heck yeah, we did. Let us know all about it on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Earth's Mixtape. Or email us at earthsmixtape at gmail.com. Earth's Mixtape is produced at St. Mary's University in beautiful Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Do-do-do-do-do-do.